Good morning, Union Campus. How are you? It is great to see you and be with you. Uh, whether you rode in on a kayak or maybe you floated here today on a lazy river that used to be a back road a week or two ago, you're here and you survived monsoon 2019. Give yourselves a round of applause. Oh my gosh, what a wet week, and people are losing their marbles on social media about this. I love to camp out on that Boone County Neighborhood Group page on Facebook, and I know it's three kinds of wrong, but I love to watch people fight and get upset and and argue. It's so dysfunctional, but so fun to watch go down. And uh, Tuesday or Wednesday, when it was just raining and raining, and and it just seemed like it was never going to stop, some guy stoked the fire on there with this picture. The sun will come out tomorrow. And you know, you appreciate he's trying to be positive. And within seconds, some, di- some guy like shot back in the comments this. You sit on the throne of lies. And man, it was on, just back and forth. I hear you, you're dumb. Rain's awesome. Kids need clean water. And it was so entertaining to watch. But it has been uh, quite a crazy week. And I was thinking to myself, it's a good thing we have an ark just down the road from here. Like we're pretty lucky in pretty good shape. But it's been wild. Our, our sump pumps have been getting a workout, uh, trying to keep all the water out and keep our basements dry. And in our house, our dog Sam has been a hot, hot mess. This is Sam, our dog. I, yeah, get it. Oh, yeah. He's 14. And yes, he is cute and he is sweet and he is a big, hairy baby. But we believe that Sam has some cat in him. We really do. Scary cat, that is. <laughs> because he is afraid of of everything. And I mean everything. He's afraid of squirrels. He's afraid of our vacuum cleaner. And he is freaked out by thunderstorms. And so there was a couple nights this week, man, he, it was rough. You can see he's just like, he looks like that most of the time. He's always wore out and hungry and exhausted. But uh, Sam had a rough week. We had a rough week. Tuesday and Wednesday night, Overnight, we were getting those really big storms, the big boom, big, you know, claps of thunder, and there he was, he was up. And what he does, he comes over to the bed, and he just rests his chin there, and he stares, and he waits, and he waits for just you to move just a tiny inch, and if you do, it's over. So you're sitting there, he's looking at you, you're laying in bed trying not to move, you know, and all of a sudden, he picks up the movement. And so he moves to the next phase, the hot breath phase. (laughs) For crying out loud, Tara's like, put pants on before you go outside. So here we go. I go downstairs. I take him out. He's doing his business about midstream. Boom. He gets scared, runs back in, pees a little bit in the kitchen. And I got to clean that up. Now I'm wide awake. He's thirsty, wants a drink. Then I got to give him a treat. It's 2 o'clock. Sam and I are in the kitchen. We're both nervous eating together. And it's a rough, rough night. And the next day is terrible because you're trying to navigate the day and you're robbed of sleep, which means you're robbed of productivity. You're sitting at your desk and you, you want to go to bed by like noon, all because Sam has some major fear. <laughs> Fear's a robber, isn't it? And, and it's not just in animals. It's this thing that can rob and paralyze all of us. The reality is some of you have come in here this morning and from right, right where you sit, Right now, you're sitting in an area of life where you're paralyzed by some kind of fear. You guys know what phobias are, right? Anybody have any? Let's kind of just comb the room here. Anybody would say, uh, snakes, man, can't stand them. Snakes just freak me out. Yeah, I'm with you. Anybody heights? You're scared of heights? Don't do it. No roller coasters, tall buildings. Uh, How about um, 
<laughs> this is kind of an awkward one. Anybody clowns? Just call it for what it is. <laughs> clowns creep you out. It's okay. We love you. It's all right. But most of us are aware of the more common phobias, like uh, things like hydrophobia, the fear of... Yeah. Or uh, arachnophobia, the fear of... That was fast. You got to that one really quick. But I want to hang out for a moment and see if you can identify some of the more lesser-known phobias. Will you play along with me for a minute? All right, all right here we go. Let's try this one. Uh, isolophobia. Anybody? Fear of being alone. Nice job. $500. All right, let's go to the next one. Um, agoraphobia. Yeah, fear of crowded public places, people. Absolutely. Now, they're going to get a little more uh, challenging here. What about this one? Coraphobia. Anybody? Go ahead. The fear of dancing. Some of you need that fear, I'm just saying. <laughs> just saying. Now, this next one I couldn't believe existed. Look at this one. Pantherophobia. Anybody? Here it is. The fear of mother-in-laws. It's a very real fear. It really is. Now, this next one offended me. Pilotophobia. The fear of bald people. This screams kindness and tenderness. Come on, really? Really? How about this next one? Homilophobia. The fear of sermons. This is going south fast. It really is. And then finally, this one. Pilata homilophobia. The fear of bald guys who do sermons. <laughs> I made that one up. <laughs> but did you know there are 536 well-documented and medicated phobias? It's crazy. And if we're honest, some of them are pretty funny. But then there's some of those fears that reside in each of us that they're just not real funny. Because there's some fears that keep you and I from living a better story. And if we're not careful... Fear can become that excuse that keeps us from living that, that purpose-driven life that God has wired us to live. And today, while we're hanging out for a few moments, we're going to meet a guy by the name of Gideon. And he was a guy who desperately needed God to deliver him from his fear. Now, maybe you've never heard of Gideon. That's okay. A lot of people probably haven't. Uh, but he's a, a guy we're going to encounter in the Old Testament. And if you're joining us for the first time the last several weeks, we've been in the series called, What is God Like? And in answering that question, we've been hanging out in, of all places, the Old Testament. If we're just honest, the Old Testament isn't a place in the Bible we tend to run towards. We don't tend to just open the Bible and go, I just want to hang out in the Old Testament for a few weeks. A lot of us, we try to read it and we're immediately confused or overwhelmed. We start reading it, we see all the names that rhyme. We read about Jeremiah and Hezekiah and Zephaniah and Obadiah. And you're like, I'm not spiritual enough, I guess, because my name doesn't end in Ayah, right? And kind of frustrated. And so you, you flip a few more pages and then you read that Seth begat Enos, who begat Canaan, who begat Mahalalel. And you're like, who begat who? You know? And you finally you're like, I'm over it. Let's just go to the New Testament. <laughs> But we've been learning in the series, which I hope you'll go back and watch online, that the Old Testament, every story, every page of it is casting a shadow that's pointing to Jesus. It's getting us ready for Jesus. These people we've been hanging out week in and week out with, they're shadows of the Christ. His story is being foreshadowed in theirs. And what I love about it is when we get to the very end of the Old Testament, your, your heart can be kind of flooded with hope because as you've put your first toe into the New Testament, immediately you begin to see the one, Jesus, 
who all the shadows have been pointing to all along. It's awesome. Last week, if you're here, Gary, uh, our campus pastor you just met a few moments ago, he preached last week, and didn't he knock it out of the park if you were here, man? Awesome. Awesome message. And uh, he took us through the journey uh, between Abraham and his son Isaac. It was an intense encounter. And he talked with us about the cost of surrender and, and what it really looks like to subscribe to what we call kind of a loose grip kind of living. Well, today we're going to hang out with a guy by the name of Gideon, who just like Sam, <laughs> was scared to death. Now, out of the gate, I want to be really clear. This Gideon is not the same guy who stayed in the hotel the night before you did and left his Bible in like the nightstand dresser drawer. This is a different guy. Just clear that up. This is a guy in the Old Testament who was scared to death of a group of people known as the Midianites. And uh, let's pick up in Judges chapter 6, beginning in verses 1 and 2. It says, again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. For seven years, God gave them over into the hands of the Midianites. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. Now, let me call a quick timeout and kind of give us a little bit of background before we go any further about these two verses we just read. See, 200 years before this, Israel had defeated the Midianites. They didn't just defeat them. They dominated them. They owned them, and they knew nothing but victory. And a little bit later after that, they got to the point where, honestly, they just got pretty cocky. And they said, you know what? I think we're good here. God thanks. We know things. We don't really need your help anymore. We got this. And God said, okay. And he removed his hand of blessing completely off of Israel. And right after that, their numbers started decreasing. While at the same time, the numbers of the Midianites exploded. <laughs> They're like multiplying like rabbits, increasing in number. And if you read the Bible, you'll see the Midianites, they're described by the Bible as being like this, this swarm of locusts. They're just like everywhere. And I want you to imagine with me, they've had now 200 years to just let that need and that burning desire for revenge to catch fire and to keep putting gas on that fire to get back. And they're like, one day we're going to be there and we're going to take you down once again. And as we pick up here in Judges 6, that time has come. The Midianites now are a force to be reckoned with. And they've recently begun launching this arsenal on Israel. And what I want to say to you is they weren't just attacking to take over. They were attacking to destroy. If you read in verses like 3 through 6, which you can do on your own, you can see what they were doing. They ruthlessly killed people, like execution style. They destroyed their livestock. They completely wiped out and ruined their crops. Their goal was destruction. And so when we encounter Israel right now, they're kind of like the prize fighter who's like in round 10 of the fight. They've already survived and, and, and kind of overcome two potential knockouts, and they're down for the count again. Their eyes are swollen shut from being punched so many times. Blood's dripping down their face, kind of like a Rocky Three kind of moment. They got the smelling salts out, trying to bring them back. And the refs pound on the mat. One, two, I mean, they are beaten up. They're living in utter poverty, borderline starvation. They're scared to death and they're hiding because they're enemy of the Midianites. Man, they're a force to be reckoned with. And right in the midst of all of this, God sends an angel of the Lord to this guy who was very, 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 very afraid. His name was Gideon. 
And I want to take a moment before we dive in this to kind of get a snapshot of who Gideon was. I want to try to describe Gideon. I don't know how else to say it, but this. Gideon was kind of a nobody. Um, he was the youngest member in the weakest family in the smallest tribe of Israel. Get that picture again. He's the youngest member in the weakest family in the smallest tribe of Israel. And if there was ever a nobody, it was Gideon. <laughs> I mean, the only remarkable thing about Gideon is that there was nothing absolutely remarkable about Gideon. <laughs> we put it this way. He's, he's kind of the underdog in the playoffs. He's a, he's a Cinderella team in March Madness. He's like 60 to 1 odds at the Derby. And he's the last guy in the world that anybody would look at and go, well, there's a hero right there. <laughs> he's the last guy who would look at himself and think that God was going to do anything significant through his life. And in fact, when we meet Gideon here in Judges chapter 6, he's not preparing to do something great. He's not sharpening his sword. He's not preparing for battle. He's not rallying his fellow troops going, all right, guys, bring it in. Let's take on these bad guys and go change the world. No. When we first meet Gideon, he's two things. He's hiding and he's afraid. He's scraping out a living he's doing the best he can to not be noticed by anyone. And that's when God sends an angel of the Lord to this man who's very, very afraid. In verse 11, it says this. It says, the angel of the Lord came down, and it sat under the oak in Oprah. She's been around a long time. <laughs> you get a car, you get a car. That belonged to Joe Ashley Bees, right? Where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. Now you read that and you go, okay, Chad, that's some good information. What does that mean? <laughs> well, here's, here's what was going on. Basically, you've got Gideon here. He's doing his job. He's threshing wheat, and he's hiding down in a wine press. And a wine press was kind of like a, a cave area. And he's hiding down there working because he's so afraid that any time the Midianites are going to show up, they're going to find him, they're going to attack him, and they're going to ruthlessly kill him. And so, like his fellow Israelites, he's kind of taken to doing life completely underground because he's afraid for his life. He's borderline starving. He's trying to keep a little bit of wheat for himself. He's terrified of the enemy. And then in verse 12, the angel of the Lord appears to him and says these words, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Hey, Gideon, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Now, I don't know about you, but knowing what you know about Gideon so far, maybe like me, you're looking at an angel going, no offense, you smoking crack? <laughs> like, what, do you got the right guy? I think you're, you must be over a few books in another story. I think you got the wrong guy. Th that statement seems almost hilarious because this is the guy who's sitting down at a hole in the ground. His knees are knocking. He's saying, don't get me. Don't find me. Don't let the bad guys touch me. Mighty warrior? Really? More like mighty wuss. <laughs> Yet God, through the angel of the Lord, says, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Wow. <laughs> I mean, here's Gideon. He's, he's hiding in a wine press, which is a hole in the ground. His world seems like it's crashing down all around him. He's afraid the Midian, Midianites are going to find him any moment. And so you look at that, and it doesn't necessarily look like a natural-born leader. <laughs> it doesn't look like a guy that would be described as one of the greatest military heroes of all time. Because he's hiding out in a wine press. But before we get rough on our man Gideon, let's just get honest. 
that's often a picture of us, isn't it? Some of this, this morning, we've been spending some time down hiding in the wine press. Maybe you're there right now. You're in that wine press and you're hiding out from your potential. You're hiding out from something very specific God has been nudging you to do for some time. He's got something he wants to do in your life and you're hoping to kind of fly under the radar. God has got some specific challenge for you, some dream, maybe a promise, some type of very specific next step, and you're hiding out in the wine press. Well, even though Gideon could hide from the enemy, there was no way he could hide from an all-seeing God. And so God shows up to Gideon in the midst of the wine press because he wants to do something in his life. And he says to him, Lord is with you, mighty warrior. You know what I love about this? I love that Gideon, as he's hurting, God looks at his life and God sees something in Gideon that Gideon just couldn't see in himself. And the same thing is true for you. When God looks into your life, he doesn't see you for who you are. He doesn't see you for where you are or for what you are. He sees you for what you might become. He sees more inside of you than you see in yourself. And just like Gideon, he comes up close and personal to you. And he's with you. And he's for you. Maybe he calls you something that you don't really feel to be true of yourself. Maybe he looks to you and he says, mighty warrior, treasured child of God, leader, overcomer. And you sense him stirring something in you. You feel in your heart and your gut that God is nudging you to take some type of next step. There's something he's wanting to pull off. And just when you're about ready to take that next step, what happens? All the insecurities start rising to the top, don't they? All the reasons why you're just not the right person for this. And you start doing the Gideon. <laughs> you start doing this dance. It's really bad dancing. Called the Gideon. And it's a dance we've all done. Now, there's a lot of popular dances in our culture right now. I work with teenagers a lot, and I have teenage boys, so I'm familiar with the dab. I see like 800 times a week. Looks like you're smelling your armpits. That's really what that dance looks like. Or there's this one, the floss. Looks like a carrot having a seizure. You know, these are common dances, but I'm going to tell you, one of the most popular dances we do is a dance called the Gideon, and it's two moves. The first move of the Gideon is this. You question the faithfulness of God. You seem really uncomfortable. I'm not trying to be a good dancer, so you, it's okay. You're like, I hope he doesn't think that's good. You know, I know, it's horrible, all right? But move number one is you question the faithfulness of God. That's the first move in the Gideon. And Gideon does that here in verse 13. Look what it says. He says, if the Lord is with us, why has all of this happened to us? He's saying, God, no offense, but if you're with us, why does it seem like everything has gone down the toilet? I don't really get it. And then he moves on to move number two. Move number two is you doubt that you're good enough. Move number one, you doubt the faithfulness of God. Move number two, you doubt that you're good enough. Verse 15, Gideon, you can hear the whining in his voice. How can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh. I'm the least in my family. And you're like, you want some cheese with that wine, dude? Like, seriously. He's whining. He's saying, God, you got the wrong guy. I'm, I'm the weakest guy here, and you want me to save Israel? My prayer life's not that great. 
God, I wasn't in the top half of my class. I was in the half that made the top half possible. You've got the wrong guy. Trust me, it's not me. And you know what? We do the same thing. We present our impressive resume to God with all the reasons why we're probably not the best choice. But for us, it sounds a little bit like this. God, I'm, not, I'm just not talented enough for that. Lord, I'm, I'm not godly enough to do that. I don't really have that ability. I, I lack experience. I don't speak like him. I don't lead like her. And we tell God why we can't do what he's already said we could do. Verse 16, the Lord answers Gideon and he says this. He says, I will be with you and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. And what I want to do is I want to reach into this text and I want to drop a couple truth bombs this morning. And the first one we see is this, at least in my life, this is what I'm seeing about me. I want to hide in my weaknesses, but God wants to use my weaknesses. Can you relate? Our tendency is to stay in the wine press and to kind of hide in our weaknesses and all the reasons we think we could never do that for God and because of God. We hide in our weaknesses when God says, I want to use your weaknesses. Your weakness is an incredible off-the-chain conduit for God's strength. And I just ask you right now to answer this question very honestly. Right now in your life, where are you weak right now? Where are you weak right now, this very moment? Where is that for you? And I'm going to tell you, that's a, a powerful place. It's a perfect place for God to show up and do something that only he can do. When you believe that God is with you, the deal is done. There's no more reason to waste hours of emotion on worry, to lay in bed at night, not being able to sleep, pacing the hall at three in the morning, running through all these what ifs and scenarios in your mind over and over and over again. When God is with you, it is settled, church. You can take it to the bank. You can cash that check. You can cash that promise and rest in it. If God is with you, he will get it done. <laughs> When I was a freshman in high school, right down the street at Connor High School, for some reason, there was an upperclassman that thought I liked his girlfriend. And I don't know why. I never even gave off a hint of that. But he thought so. And so he made it his mission to every day stalk me, bully me, and want to beat the crud out of me. And uh, I, was, I was scared to death. And, and I don't know why I was even a threat to him. Um, I was in the marching band. <laughs> I was the treasurer of our chess team. And uh, I had an awesome California raisins collection. Do anybody remember those? You only could get them from Hardee's. Remember Hardee's, the best breakfast biscuits ever. But they had these little California raisins, and I had an incredible collection of those. I'm like, why am I a threat to this guy? I don't get it. But I was. And so for weeks and months, I walked the halls of Connor High School in fear. I was afraid. I was always looking over my shoulder, never could relax. I never used the bathroom all day long. I would hold it all day long. My mom would be like, your bladder's going to explode. That's not good for you. But I wasn't going in there. I never went to my locker. I had a backpack that was loaded with like 900 pounds of books. I had like scoliosis at the end of the year because of it. So I'm like, I'm not going to my locker. You know what's going to happen there. And I walked around afraid. Till one day everything changed. This guy named Mike transferred into our school from out of town. Mike was a beast. <laughs> He was a hoss, man. 
big old corn-fed looking kid, you know, and uh, he comes in there, and the rumor was that he had gotten kicked out of his other school for fighting, and I think it was probably true because he had this kind of natural swagger about him and kind of a chip on his shoulder, but all I know is for some reason, Mike liked me. (laughs) We ate lunch together. He thought I was funny, and so guess who my best new friend was? My man, Mike. (laughs) Me and Mike are hanging out all the time. So I'd uh, be at my locker, that dude and his friends would come up and he'd kind of give me the shoulder bump and like, you want to start something? I'd be like, hey, you met Mike. <laughs> it's my friend Mike, I'm with Mike. i go in the bathroom to get to go to the bathroom for the first time in months. I'm like, yes, this is so good. And uh, the guy'd come in there and he'd give me that kind of stare down and be like, hey, you met Mike? Yeah, I'm, I'm with Mike. We'd go in the cafeteria, they'd walk around my table, kind of give me that stare like he's going to steal my chocolate milk or my tater tots. I'm like, don't touch my tater tots. And we'd kind of go back and forth. I'd stare back at him and say, you want some of this? You want some marching band? Come on, bring it. Bring it all. I'm with Mike. I'm with Mike. And church, hear me. You walk with God. This God who says, I'm with you, mighty warrior. We don't have to worry. We don't have to be afraid. And when God calls us to step in something that is way over our head that we feel incredibly ill-equipped for, we can confidently say, I'm with him. I'm with him. My deliverer. He's my strength. He's my rock. I ain't scared. I'm with him. And that changes everything, or at least it should. Truth bomb number two. Something else we pull out from this, and that is that God sees in you what you and others just can't see. This is so true. God sees in you what you can't see, what you don't see, what you choose not to see. And I'll take it a step further. Other people don't even see you as God sees you. They just don't. And this truth tends to just drip off the pages of Scripture. If you go into the Old Testament, you meet a woman by the name of Rahab. When people look at Rahab, you know what they saw? They saw a prostitute. A whore. That's what they saw. But you know what God saw? God saw a woman whose heart would eventually be turned towards him. Who would eventually marry a godly man. A woman who would eventually give birth to generations. And through her genealogy would come Jesus, the Savior of the world. Other people saw a prostitute. God saw divine potential. You flip over into the New Testament and you'll meet another guy by the name of Simon Peter. When people saw Simon Peter at first, what did they see? They saw a foul-mouthed, weather-beaten commercial fisherman. Bunch of dirt under his nails, horrific coffee breath, a guy who'd fight you in a heartbeat. (laughs) Do you know what God saw? God saw a prevailing leader in the early church who would eventually go on to write two books of the New Testament. God sees in you what other people can't and won't see and what you won't see. Well, this is where the story gets good. God's not done. He comes up to Gideon. He says, Gideon, all right, here's what's next. I want you to put together an army. Gideon's like, okay. I picture him going out and putting up some of those Uncle Sam, I want you posters, (laughs) recruiting, trying to talk it up. 32,000 soldiers show up. And I'm thinking to myself, not bad for a guy who said he wasn't a very good leader. 32,000. I mean, you'd be thinking, buddy, you're on your way to victory. Congratulations. 32,000, it sounds pretty impressive until you realize they're up against 135,000 Midianites. So Gideon goes to God and he's like, I got 32,000, thinking God's going to be pretty happy about this. And God says, yeah, that's way too many. 
<laughs> you need to knock that down a bit. God's thinking, I want to make sure people know I'm the one that's bringing the victory here. You need to knock that down some. He says, here's what I want you to do, Gideon. I want you to go back to your soldiers and tell them you have one opportunity right now. If you don't want to fight, if you're afraid, you'd rather not serve in the army, you can leave and go home now. And he's thinking, these guys aren't going to do this. These are men of valor, bravery, great courage. So he goes to them and he says, hey, if anybody's afraid and you want to go home, you don't want to do this, you're welcome to leave. 22,000 go. See ya. <laughs> I'm out. And he's now down to 10,000 soldiers. But he's still feeling a little confident because, I mean, 10,000 is 10,000. So Gideon comes back to God again. He says, hey, we're at 10,000. You think we're, are we ready? God says, still too many. <laughs> what? Yeah. He says, Gideon, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take all your soldiers down by that river over there and let them get a drink of water. And as they drink, carefully watch how they drink. Watch for the guys that get on their bellies like an animal and just lap water straight out of the river. You don't want them. They're out. Evidently, God's into really good manners. <laughs> and uh, he says, the other guys who bend down on a knee and they cup water in their hand, they drink it out of their hand, they're kind of watching. Those are your soldiers. That's who you want. 9,700 drank like animals. See ya. <laughs> and he's left with 300. He goes back to God and God says, okay, now we're ready. <laughs> 300. God's saying, I want to make sure people realize I'm going to be the one bringing the victory. And so the stage is set. 300 versus 135,000. A big microphone drops from the sky. The guy comes up and goes, let's get ready to rumble. Bop, 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 bop. Lights are all flashing. Pyrotechnics are shooting up. It's on. It's game time. <laughs> now, here's what I love about God in this moment. God, while he's so omnipotent, is yet so personal. He loves Gideon, and he knows that Gideon is still struggling, that he's still really nervous, that there's a lot of fear and what if there. And so he comes to Gideon late in the night, and he says, listen, buddy, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go down to that enemy camp right now, middle of the night, and I want you to carefully listen in and overhear some very important conversation. And so he does. He goes. And when he gets there, he sneaks in enemy camp, and he's listening carefully. It's late in the night. And he hears a Midianite kind of jolt out of his sleep. <sighs> oh, my gosh. Guys, oh, my gosh. I just had the weirdest dream ever. I dreamed a huge loaf of bread tumbled out of the hills and crushed our tent. He must have been doing keto diet or, or something there. Carb withdrawal. I don't know. But another guy wakes up and he goes, hold on. What did you just say? Uh, oh, my gosh, dude. This is not good. That is, that, is, that is not good. This only means one thing. It means the sword of getting his army. They're going to overtake us. Their God has delivered us into their hands. This is not good. And Gideon stepped back and went, all right, all right, all right. He knew, all right, God's got this. How cool that God was so personal that he put Gideon in just the right place at just the right time for just the right reason to hear this and to just affirm and give him great confidence. He knew God's got this. So he races back to his troops late in the night. He's like, guys, psst, guys, get up, wake up. And he awakens all 300 soldiers. And he says, God has given us the Midianites this very night. Look what he says in Judges 7, beginning of verse 17. Watch me, he told them. The leadership's developing. He says, follow my lead. When I get to the edge of the camp, do exactly as I do. When I and all who are with me blow our trumpets, then from all around the camp, blow yours and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. 
It's go time. Now picture the setting with me. The ratio is basically this. They're outnumbered 450 to 1. And your leader says, all right, bring it in, fellas. Here's what I need you to do. First, go get your weapons. I need you to grab your trumpets from middle school band. Get over to the kitchen and grab a couple pitchers. Dump out the sweet tea first. And then grab a couple of those tiki torches like they use at Tribal Council on Survivor. Oh, it is on like Donkey Kong. <laughs> Not necessarily a brave heart moment. <laughs> 300 against 135,000. We got our horns. We got our pitchers. We got some big candles. Let's rock. <laughs> And so there they go, charging down the hill. Can you imagine what this looked like? Charging enemy camp. Clang, 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 clang. I mean, really? And they were doing it. And I just wonder what it sounded like. It'd be like a fiesta, like a mixture of like a mariachi band, fraternity party, luau, all combined. And these Midianites, they are jolted out of their sleep. Can you imagine what they're thinking? They're like, oh my gosh, a few too many glasses of wine last night. Whoa! And here they come. Here they come. The next thing that happens is mind-blowing. Verse 21 with me. While each man held his position around the camp, all the Midianites ran, (laughs) crying out as they fled. The Lord caused the men throughout the camp to turn on each other with their swords. (laughs) Wow. That's all I can say is wow. Wow. I mean, this is like Stony Brook College defeating UK for the national championship in basketball. It really is. This is the Cinderella team, and they go in and they win it all with the power of God and only 300 men, but mainly with the power of God. (laughs) And in this story, again, just like over the last few weeks, we see this connection between Gideon and Jesus, don't we? You lay the two down side by side, there's so much similarity You look at both of them, there's no silver spoons or resumes that were impressive. Their methods were completely abnormal, considered senseless by many. God rescues people through both of them from the enemy. And in both stories, the underdog wins. The underdog wins because God chooses to just show off his mighty power. And church, I want you to hear me this morning, right now. That very same God, he wants to transform you and you and you and and all of you. He wants to transform you from a a person of fear to a soldier of faith. Remember chapter 6, what he said to Gideon. He said, I will be with you. I will be with you. One final truth bomb. When God calls you to do something, It's more about the presence of God than it is ever about your own power. It is so much more about his strength than it is your own strength or lack of. We struggle with this, don't we? I mean, instead of asking God for help, we insist on we can do it ourselves. I I got this. I got it. Yet Ephesians 3.19 says you will be filled with the fullness of life and power that comes from God. The Bible with a megaphone is saying, it's about his strength, not yours. (laughs) Hello? Here's what we do. We rip off that resume of all these things. I'm not qualified. I'm not strong enough. This isn't a good time. I I can't. And I just picture God with like a little child going, shh, stop. And saying, but I can. 
But God, I mean, I'm not a leader. This isn't the best time. I don't feel qualified. I'm afraid. I can't. Shh, shh, stop it. But I can. God, I can't. But I can. I always get tickled when you're at a gym and you watch men who are lifting weights and they're at the bench press station and like a typical guy, they put on probably more weight on the bar than they should. And they're there and their first few reps, they're pumping it out and you got to make the sounds. They're grunting, you know, because that's just impressive. I was watching, he is strong, man. Listen to the grunting, right? It's like a, a sign of a really strong guy. But he gets to about rep number seven and you see him struggling. <laughs> And it's funny, <laughs> you know, he's struggling and you can tell he doesn't want to ask for help. He's in the gym, everybody's watching, he's trying to be impressive and man, his pride just keeps him from wanting to ask for help. And finally, he gives in and he goes, spot! <laughs> and some big gearhead spotter runs over, I got you, man. And he takes like two fingers and goes, whoop, <laughs> and gets it up on the bar, right? He gets it up on the bar, this guy's been straining underneath that bar for some time and the spotter runs over and he's like, I got you. Spiritually, I think that's what we do. You and I, we spend days, weeks, months, years straining underneath the bar of life, too prideful to call for a spotter. <laughs> we just need to look to God and go, hey, spot! <laughs> and God comes over in our situation and goes, whoop, I got this. Call for a spotter. You can't, but he can you can't, and you won't, but he can, and he will. Just you bow your heads with me for a moment? I want you right now to just be fully here for a moment. Let's not think about where we're going for lunch, what we got to do this afternoon. Where you're sitting right now is a holy place in the presence of a living God. And I ask you to think about that place right now where you find yourself afraid, overwhelmed. That reason that's put you down in the wine press for quite some time. And I want you right now to rest in the freedom of being able to look to God in all honesty and right now look to him and say, I can't. God, I can't. I don't know what that is for you. Maybe it's around health, a relationship something in your family, financial stuff, depression, and addiction, anxiety. I don't know what that is for you. Or something you know God wants you to do and you're just running from it. But whatever it is right now, rest in the freedom of right now, just at the top of your lungs saying to God, I can't. God, I can't. And as you sit here in that moment of honesty, sit here right now also in the great comfort of hearing God whisper right back to you very personally with an unfailing love saying but I can but I can give me your eyes for a moment the other night I was watching television and this Gatorade commercial came on and it shows the typical athlete who's been out on the court and they, they run off and they're just covered in sweat and they, look, look, they chug a big Gatorade and their whole body like turns blue on the inside and at the very end their slogan pops up on TV it says is it in you? <laughs> Is it in you? I want to ask you that question this morning. When it comes to the person of Jesus, is he in you? Here's what I'm not asking. I'm not asking, do you attend church services? Do you bring shoes for master provisions? Are you in a small group? 
Do you take communion? Do you go to lots of church stuff? Have you been around faith for a long time? Is he in you? A relationship. It's not a game. It's not a calisthenic. It's not a box to check. He's a person. And he totally directs your life. And if he's not in you this morning, I encourage you to come in a moment and say, Chad, I want him to be in me. And we'll go back today. We have clothes and towels and you can be baptized today. I would love to bear hug you and give you what I call a Cadell Crunch <laughs> and just celebrate with joy new life in Christ. You can do that today. Or maybe for you, you need to go back to our prayer room in the back or come down to this altar and meet somebody and, and call out for a spotter. Because <laughs> you're straining underneath the bar of life right now. And it's time to go, spot! And let another brother, sister in Christ and God come and help lift the bar off. I really want to encourage you. I say this every time I'm here and I want to keep saying it. The invitation, this time of encounter is a time of next steps. It's not a time where we wait for the songs to be done and go to lunch. This is really a time of activity. Some of that's internal and some of it's external. Because we all have a next step. And a step is movement. It's action. And so this room should be a place of movement. And that's not awkward. And I want to challenge you, don't worry about what people around you think. Worry about what God thinks and what God wants. And if you feel like Christ is drawing you to him today, you come. We will high-five and hug and we'll celebrate life change. Go to that prayer room. Come down here and kneel at this altar. Eric and then we're going to extend a great invitation that says, come to this altar. And that altar might be right at your seat with God. It might be back in the prayer room. It might be up here. But as God leads, you come as we stand and we sing.